All right. We're going to continue our worship. We've had a great run of worship so far this morning. We started with some singing, and then we moved on into the Lord's table, which is another form of worship. And now we're going to open God's Word together, and we're going to continue our worship uh, as we look into the Word of God from Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. Uh, The title of our message is Walking the Walk God Expects. Um, You know, walking is important, right? Uh, we get from one place to another uh, by walking. You say, well, Pastor, we drive cars these days. Well, yeah, I understand that, but you still have to walk to your car, right? Uh, when I was growing up, we didn't have a car. The first car that was uh, in our family when was, was when my brother bought a 1950-something Simca. Yeah, we had to push it to get it started a lot of times. Going down Main Street in Messina, um, going to the hospital because I, I cut my cut something and I had to go get stitches, um, and the car stalled. So my two brothers uh, jump out of the car and start pushing it, and then one jumps back in the car and pops the clutch, and away we go back on down to the hospital. My mom sinks down in the back seat so nobody could see her uh, in this car. That was our first car. Um, my brother, I think, was probably 17 years old uh, when he got that car. Uh, and, and now my mom learned to drive, I taught her to drive when she was 50, bought her first car when she was 50, so we didn't have a car growing up, um, cars were, cars, everybody had cars back in those days, or most everybody did, but we didn't, it's just life for us to walk from one place to another, we walked to the store to get our groceries, every now and then we'd call a taxi cab to bring us back, depending on how many bags we had, um, but yeah, walking, um, Many of us have participated in these things called walkathons, right, to raise money for this or for that. Uh, when, we were, when I was a freshman at BBC, they had a walkathon to raise money um, for the school. And um, it didn't go over quite the way that everybody was hoping. There was a, a small number of students that participated in the walkathon. I think Barb's dorm had the most number of participants, but we made up a song in our dorm uh, for the walkathon. It was the walkathon, the walkathon that was rejected by the whole student body. You know, it went to the tune of a song that we sang often in school. Uh, but anyway, that didn't go over so well. But you know, I participated when I was young in the, in the Labor Day walkathon that raised a lot of money for kids that were, um, that were sick and not able to, to live the way normal children would live. And so uh, that was done. Uh, today we have things, like I have a watch that counts the number of steps I take. In fact, the, my watch counts the number of steps I take. My phone counts the number of steps I take. Most of the time they, they reconcile with one another, not always. If I don't have my watch on and I just have my phone with me, it counts the number of steps and doesn't tell my watch, but my watch always tells my phone. So anyway, um, we count the number of steps that we have in a day. Walking is healthy, right? The, the, the more steps we take, the healthier, generally speaking, we are. In fact, there, people are, are encouraging us, park further away from where you need to go into the door, uh, use the stairs and don't take the elevator, all those kinds of things to increase the number of steps that you take throughout the course of the day. Walking is important. It's, it's healthy for us. The more we walk, the more active we are. The more active we are, the more our heart beats and pumps and, 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 uses, and it's used the way it's supposed to be used. Um, so walking is healthy. Um, and as we talk about walking, we, I want you to understand that walking in the Christian life is important as well. 
It's healthy for us. A healthy walk is important. And as a Christian, we want to be sure that our walk is causing us to grow in our relationship with Christ. In fact, our walk should be causing us to become more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Last week, we started looking at the three different parts of our walk. Those three components of the Christian walk are walk in love, walk in light, and walk in light of our learning. Okay, last week I told you it was walk in wisdom, but I had to change it because it didn't have an L in it. So we're walking in light of our learning. What are we learning? And as we learn, we want to put it into practice so that we become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Speaking of Christ, I want to remind you that he is our example for walking in love. We talked about that last Sunday, didn't we? We saw that he is love manifested. He is the example of love. If we want to know how to love, who do we look to? We look to Jesus, and he shows us how we love. He demonstrated that love by giving, and he gave his life on the cross, which we celebrated this morning as we looked at communion, as we observed the Lord's table. His love was evident in that his love pleased the Father. The Father is the source of true love, and Jesus' giving was pleasing to the Father, and therefore it provides a perfect example for us of how we ought to walk in love. This morning we're going to learn how to walk in light, and we're also going to throw in there, uh, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, walk in wisdom, but before we do that, let's talk to the Father of lights this morning and ask him to bless our time in his word together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and again, we thank you for the privilege of being here. Um, Lord, we know that there's some people that aren't able to be here because um, they're, they're not feeling well. We know that there's some other people that aren't here because of the weather, and then, Father, there's other people that aren't here perhaps because they chose just not to be here and to do something else instead. I pray that you would uh, be at work in each one of the hearts of the individuals who are not with us this morning, that you would make it possible for those uh, who genuinely wanted to be here this morning to join us together. Uh, Those that um, are not here because of the weather, we understand that and we know that that will clear up and and we'll be able to gather again in person with one another um, without the constraints of the weather. And and then, Father, for those of us that are here this morning and we're here... um, because this is a place we want to be. Not, we're not here out of obligation, but we're here because it's the desire of our heart to worship you together this morning. Would you work in all of our hearts today to help us to understand what it is you want us to do, how you want us to live uh, in a way that pleases you and brings glory and honor to your name. We pray these things in our Savior Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> So this morning we want to look at this idea of walking in the light. Um, Last week we looked at a few things that Paul told us were contrary to the life of the child of God. Paul told us that bad behavior and bad speech were not part of our manner of living. Shouldn't be the things that are practiced by the child of God. Instead, we are to be people that give thanks to God for what he is doing in our lives. Giving thanks, if we're giving thanks, we're not focusing on the negative, we're not practicing the negative, we're rather thinking of what God has done and is doing in our lives. Bad behavior and bad speech are characteristics of those that walk in the darkness, And Paul tells us in verse 8 that we are not to walk in the darkness. That used to be our path. We were in a dark way. 
Uh, and we didn't know where we were going. We couldn't see where we were going. We couldn't see what was in front of us. And we often tripped and fell and, and got into the wrong places. But he says, now we are children of the light. And since we're in the light, he challenges us to walk in the light. So we're going to look at verses 8 through 14 this morning of chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians. So let's go ahead and stand together as we read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 21. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 21. Read together with me if you would please. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but All things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord." giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. All right, you may be seated. Um, We're going to be looking this morning at a text of Scripture that admonishes us to live in the light. And when you're in the light, you know what happens? Everything is seen. Uh, people that don't like to live for uh, live properly and live right, you know where they like to live? If, if not directly in the darkness, at least in the shadows, so there's not a lot of light to expose what they're doing. I'm telling you, the older I get, and, and when I need to read something that's in really fine print, you know where I find myself going? Either under a light or near a window where I can see better because the light exposes the little tiny print that I'm having a hard time reading. So the light is so important in our life. And you and I, as light, as children of the light, we need to be shining that light where we go. We're going to look this morning at the second expectation, if you will, of the Christian walk. Walk in love was the first. Walk in light is the second. And in verse 9, we see that there's proof that you and I are in the light. It's proof. Paul says, for the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Uh, And this, actually, if if we were reading it from the Greek, we would read it like this. For the fruit of the light is... And then he goes on and tells us what the fruit of the light is. So in other words, the word spirit isn't really there in the original context. So I might say that this bush here that I brought with me this morning, well, you tell me, anybody know what kind of bush this is? 
I will tell you it's a miniature, so um, the regular kind are much bigger. It's, it's a rose bush, okay? So I, I'm telling you that this is a rose bush. Now, if you really want to make sure that it's a rose bush, you're welcome to come up and you're welcome to look at it. You're welcome to examine it. But there is proof that this is indeed a rose bush. How do we know it's a rose bush? Well, if you look closely, you'll see that there's these little things that stick off of it, and they're called thorns. Okay? Now, the bigger rose bushes have much more aggressive thorns. Okay? Um, you could probably take these and put your hand right on it, and it really wouldn't bother you. It might give you a little sliver, though, that you have to deal with later on. Okay? But there are definitely thorns on this rose bush. What else would indicate to us that it is a rose bush? The scent. And it does have a little bit of scent, believe it or not. Um, when I used to plant roses in South Africa, we had a, a pretty nice little rose garden that I worked on. Um, the only kind of roses that I bought, there were two criterias. One was that they were long stem. Now, when I first started out, I had a couple that weren't long stem, and I quickly realized I can't cut these and give these to my wife. And that was the reason I bought, I started growing roses, because I used to stop quite regularly on the side of the road and buy roses for her. And I thought to myself, man, I can grow these, and then I don't have to spend money. <laughs> right? And by the way, Aldi's has let me down. I used to buy roses regularly for my wife at Aldi's for like $4 a bunch. And they don't sell them anymore. I can't figure that out. Every time I, what's that? They're going broke. Uh, so anyway, I, and, and I tried grows, growing roses in New York. It's just not as easy it was, as it was in South Africa. Anyway, so I, I, my two criteria is long stems so that I could cut them off and give them to my wife. And often I, when I went to visit somebody, my wife would go out to the garden and she would cut off a rose and say, take this to so-and-so and take this to so-and-so. And so it was, a, it was a way of giving my wife roses and it was a way for us, my wife, mostly to um, encourage others in the church family as well. The second criteria for buying roses that I had was that they had a strong scent. Okay? I, I would go to the nursery, and I would look at the roses, and they had hundreds of them to choose from. And they had lots of long stem roses as well. So I would choose uh, first a long stem rose, but then the, the, the nursery worker would say, well, here's a pretty long stem rose. I would say, okay, but how does it smell? And sometimes they would look at me like, well, why does that matter? Because a rose is supposed to have a scent. If a rose doesn't have a scent, then I don't want it. Peace rose. Oh, my goodness. Such an amazing scent. You, and, and our roses got to the point that they were growing so well that when we opened our front door, you could actually smell the roses. You didn't even have to go down into the garden. You could smell them from our front door. Um, and so anyway, long stems and a good scent. For a little tiny rose, that's not a bad scent. Okay? Um, another way that we can tell that this is a rose bush is by the buds that are on it. Rose bush buds have a certain look to them. And, and once the bud opens, what appears? A rose. Not a tulip, right? But a rose. Okay? Even the leaves are unique to roses. There's this thing that was growing someplace in our backyard that I didn't know why it was growing there. I didn't know what it was until it, it began to Get the leaves really became, became pronounced and I started to get some buds. That's a rose bush growing there. What in the world is that rose bush doing growing there? I didn't plant that there. 
Some bird must have dropped a seed or something, uh, and there was a rose there. It didn't have much sense, so we didn't keep it. I dug it up and got rid of it. But you see, a rose bush is known by the, the fruit that it bears, the smell that it gives, the buds, the thorns. There's all kinds of proof that this is indeed a rose bush. In fact, it's even labeled mini rose. Tells you how to take care of it, all that kind of stuff. Says full sun. I don't know where we're going to get full sun this time of year. But anyway, the label is there. Can I tell you what? As a Christian, you have a label. And you know what your label is? Child of God. Born again believer. And we don't just have a little sticker in the pot. We have a book that gives us instruction on how to live. And it's right here. And so if we want to look like children of God, we want to be children of God, we need to follow the book so that we can become more evident to others that we are indeed children of God. When these, well, I don't know about this one, but when the regular rose bush grows and produces, we cut them off, we put them in a vase, and people look by, I mean, we had people that would tell us how nice the roses look. Um, our landlords came to visit us one time, and they saw the peace rose, which was actually a climber rose. Uh, it, I mean, we couldn't hardly even count the buds that were on it. He walked over by the rose bush, and he says, man, when those all come into, into bloom, that's going to be an amazing sight. And it was. It was, and it, it smelled so nice. But, but again, people knew what the rose bush was. It was proof. It had lots of proof that it was indeed a rose bush. So Paul here tells us the proof of a Christian. He says that a child of God, if you're walking in the light, the fruit of the light is, and he names them goodness, righteousness, and truth. So as a child of God, those things should be evident in your life. You should reflect goodness. The goodness of God should be yours. You should reflect righteousness, and certainly not our own righteousness, because what does Isaiah say about those? That our own righteousness is like filthy rags. We want the righteousness of Christ, which is given to us because of his work on the cross of Calvary. And then we want to have truth being manifested in our life. <laughs> when I was getting ready to take my road test, um, there's certain things that you have to go through, and there's certain things you have to say to the examiner so she checks them or he checks them off uh, as you do your, your test. And so I would look down, and, I, and I'm looking at the, the back of the wheel, and there's this little hole in the back of the wheel. And in that hole, you're supposed to be able to see the brake pad. And you're supposed to be able to see that there's more than a quarter, of, quarter inch of pad on the brake pad. And so my, the guy who was training me says, now I know you can't see that. But our mechanics always make sure that the brakes are in good condition and you will never get into a bus that doesn't have more than a quarter inch of brake pad on it. So just tell the examiner that there's a quarter inch of brake on the brake pad. And he says, and I know you don't like the lie, but you're not really lying. When we do the light test, you have to have the back hatch open so that when you look out you're sitting in your seat, and you look all the way down. You're like almost trying to lay it down on the floor while you're st still sitting in your seat because you're not supposed to get out of your seat once you get in it. So you got, your, you got your strobe light that's on the light on the bus, right, on the top of it. Every bus has a strobe light. But you can't really see that strobe light when you're sitting in the driver's seat looking out the hatch. But he says, tell her you can see it because it's there, and it's working, and you're not really lying. So... People know that as the children of God, as Christians, 
We're not supposed to lie. One other example. He, after we took our test, um, he, we're, we're, you know, we, we thought we did pretty well and we thought that we passed. Um, and the lady examiner actually told our trainer uh, that we did fine. Um, and so Glenn says to one of the other guys, the other guy who took the test, he said, uh, you can go tomorrow and, uh, and talk to them about getting your license. And, and he says, but Tim can't. And so John looked at him and he says, what do you mean Tim can't? Well, you can go and lie, tell them that you took your test and you're, you, you, they told you to come get your, your, your test today, but Tim can't lie, he won't lie, so he has to wait till Friday. So, walk as children of the light. We are supposed to be people who are living in the truth, telling the truth, speaking the truth, demonstrating the truth to others. That's proof that you and I are in the light. We also have here uh, for us the procedure for walking in the light. In the next couple of verses, Paul explains to the Ephesian believers how we are to walk in the light. And again, this principle of substitution is very evident as Paul unfolds these next several verses. There are some things that we do and some things that we don't do. And we're usually accustomed to doing those things that we're not supposed to do. Paul says, stop doing them, take them out, and replace them with this. Don't do this, but rather do this. And so we, hear, we have here in, in the first um, procedure for walking in the, life, in the light is that we prove what is acceptable to the Lord. We prove it. Now, this idea of the word prove is to examine or to test. But more than that, it means that we test with the purpose of approving. Okay? So when we took our road test, the very reason that we took a road test was so that the examiner could make sure that we knew how to drive a bus, but more than that, that we knew how to drive the bus safely. And that the students on the bus were our top priority. We don't want anybody ever getting hurt on the bus, or much less getting killed or run over by a bus. So even though we had no students on the bus, we had to act as though there were students on the bus, and we had to tell the, driver, or the examiner how the students would get off the bus and how they would cross the road and so on and so forth, which is very difficult when they're not on the bus. But their goal was to prove that we knew how to drive the bus safely, not just how to drive the bus. We have to drive the bus safely. So it's the idea of proving with a purpose to approve something or someone. It would be like taking a car for a test drive, or better yet, a new product that has been developed for, let's say, military use. Before sending this new product out to the battlefield, what do they do with it? Or what at least do we hope that they do with it? We hope that they run it through a battery of tests to make sure that it does what it's supposed to do. We hope that it is tested in order to to determine its suitability to accomplish the desired purpose. Um, You know, there's guns that shoot around corners, okay? But if you have this gun that is supposed to shoot around a corner and it doesn't shoot around a corner, is it any good for what it says it's good for? No. No. So you want to test that before you actually have to use it. We're supposed to prove what is acceptable to the Lord. This idea of acceptable means that it is well-pleasing. Of course, the person or the standard for this well-pleasing is who? None other than our Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay? So we want to prove what is acceptable in His sight. 
Paul tells us that we're able to make our way through this approval process by renewing our minds. We've mentioned this verse before in talking about walking. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Anybody, there's not very many people here, so anybody want to take a chance and quote Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 for us this morning? Present? Somebody want to take up where Scott left off? Present yourself a... Okay. Which is your reasonable service, or you can actually translate that word service, your reasonable form of worship. Okay. So, which is your reasonable form of worship. And do not be, here's that substitutionary principle again. Do this, don't do this. Do not be conformed to this world. In other words, don't let this world squish you into its way of thinking. Okay? The world has a way of doing that, has the idea of a form that you put uh, something into. When I was in high school, we did laminating and steam bending in wood shop. Okay? Every time you did steam bending, you had a form that you had to use, and you took your, your piece of wood out of the steamer, we actually had a, a steamer in our wood shop, you took this piece of wood that was really, really hot and was, was awful moist, you took it out of the steamer, and you then formed it around the shell, like I made a cane for my grandma, so I took the, the, the wood out of the steamer, and I went, and I already, ha- I already had the form, so I took the piece of wood, and I clamped one end of it to the, to the top of the, the mold, and I took it, and I bent it. Because it was hot and moist, I could bend it around that form, and I clamped both ends of it, and I made a cane. Hmm, amazing. I could, I, I could do that because I forced it into the mold or to fit the mold that I wanted it to fit, okay? The world is amazingly good at forcing you and I, the children of God, into the form that it wants us to take. So Paul says, don't be conformed to the world's image, but rather be transformed. Now how does that transformation process take place? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for your life. Now like I had this piece of wood in the steamer and the only way I could bend it was to put it in that steamer and let it sit there for several days the only way I can transform myself into the image of God is through the word of God that's what I use to transform myself I'm not being conformed I'm rather being transformed and how do I do that well by the word of God and by prayer I am transformed by, I have to ask God to transform me because it's not my natural bent, it's not my natural desire. So I ask God and he, he gives me that desire, he places that desire in my heart and then he says, dive into the word, my child. Get into the book so you know how to live. You know, if we want to emulate somebody, what do we do? We study their life. If we want to emulate Christ, what do we do? We study his life. And how do we do that? Well, the only place that we're going to find out about the life of Christ is in the pages of Scripture. So we study the Scriptures to find out how to be more like Christ. So we prove what is acceptable to the Lord. And then he says, Paul says, don't partake in the unfruitful works of darkness. This word partake is the word fellowship. 
Okay? It means to become a partaker in or to share with others. There's definitely the idea of participation seen here in this word partake. When we partake, we fellowship. That's why we call it a fellowship meal. We, we partake together. We do it together. Uh, you can't have a fellowship meal all by yourself because there's nobody to fellowship with. There's nobody part- to partake with. Um, when we participate, we are involving ourselves in certain things or certain activities. Paul uses the negative one here, don't partake in the unfruitful works of darkness. These things that are identified with the things of the world. Don't participate in the untruthful or unfruitful works of darkness. What are those, dark, what are those unfruitful works? Well, first of all, he says evil deeds. Remember, he's talking to Christians, okay? So Christians must be able or must participate in these evil deeds. So he says, don't partake in these evil deeds, these works of darkness. Don't do the things that, that will not result in the glory of God. We want to make sure that all the things that we are doing result in glory to our God. He said, don't do things that will not enhance your walk with the Lord, Make sure the things you are doing will allow you to walk more like Jesus walked. And as you do them, do them with others so that they will help and you will help. You'll work together to make sure that you both are walking in the things of the Lord. If you, if you participate in these evil deeds of darkness, you know what's going to happen? They're going to drag you back into the darkness. They're going to pull you back into that old style of living. Don't do things that will limit your ability to point others to Christ. In other words, don't do things that when, if you're involved in them, people say, well, why can't I do those things? You're doing them. Oh, you're right. So if you're going to encourage people to do what is right, what do you have to do? What is right? Stop doing what is wrong and start doing what is right. So Paul says, don't participate or partake in the unfruitful works of darkness. And here's our word, but rather, he says, point out the unfruitful works of darkness. Point them out. Let others know that those are wrong. According to Vine's Expository Dictionary, this word, point them out or identify them signifies to convict or to refute, usually with the suggestion of putting the convicted person to shame. It's more than telling the offender his fault, it's used to convict of sin in John 8, 46 and John 16, verse 8. It's used for exposing those who are living outside of the faith and those that transgress the law. It also means to reprove, to convince Uh, depending on the translation that you have in your laps. For the unbeliever is there viewed as being reproved or convicted of sinful, of his sinful state. It's also used of reproving works um, of darkness and speaking against the wrong. You and I should stand up for what is right, point out what is wrong. Now, we don't have to do it belligerently. We don't have to do it in a way that is, um, you know, ungodly, but there, we should absolutely be shining the light of the Word of God and the character of God into the dark world in which we live. 
Don't participate in those unfruitful works. You know what happens when you're not participating in those things? People are often going to say to you, why don't you do that? Why don't you come and do this with us? Why don't you go here with us and do that with us? That gives you an opportunity in love to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. You don't have to do it condescendingly. You don't have to do it as a better than, better than they kind of a thing. But you just point out the wrong. And live in the right. That's what God has called us to do. Simply put, Paul is saying that you and I, those that walk in the light, are to stand up for what is right. <coughs> and when someone is doing something wrong, those unfruitful works of darkness, we shine the light of God's word on those deeds. And we make it known so that they understand. You realize that a lot of people who are unsaved and, and walk in darkness don't know that they're doing unfruitful works of darkness. I've shared with you before that people say, you're not going to let those people, not, it hasn't happened here, but in other churches, you're not going to let so-and-so come to this church because they're, they're, they're living in sin. They're doing this. Are they saved? No. Then we expect unsaved people to do unfruitful works of darkness. And they don't know any better. They can't help themselves. So as the child of God, we shine the light in a loving way that helps them see the unfruitful works that they're participating in so that hopefully the Holy Spirit will convict them of that and they'll want to have deliverance from those unfruitful works. But they won't know that they're unfruitful or that the works of darkness unless we show them that. God's word is what exposes the unfruitful works of darkness. So in other words, you say, I can't. That's not me so much saying you can't, but it's God saying that you can't or that you shouldn't because it's not what he wants us to do. So we point out the unfruitful works of darkness. You ready for this big word? The next thing that the walk of the light is, you and I, we're supposed to be phosphorescent. That's a lovely word. Anybody know what it means? Who said that? Glowing. But, but glowing where? Phosphorescent doesn't glow in the light. Where does it glow? It glows in the dark. You want something to glow in the dark, you have to make it phosphorescent somehow. And, I, and so I, as I was trying to pick out the right word, I thought, nah, nobody's going to know that word. But it's a perfect word. It's the, it's the very best word that we could come up with. Um, it's not just to keep the alliteration intact. It's because the word points out to us what our walk should look like. Here's Webster's definition, okay? Phosphorescent is luminance that is caused by absorption of radiation such as sun or electrons and continues to be noticeable time after these radiations have stopped. So if you want something that is phosphorescent to glow in the dark, what do you have to do with it first? Charge it up. Put it in the light. Okay? So when you put it in the light, and then when you go out into a place where it's not light, what does that thing do? It glows, but what is it actually doing? It's showing the light that's been influencing it for hours and hours and hours. So as children of God, if we want to be phosphorescent, we need to be in the presence of light. What's the light? Jesus and the Word of God. So if you're saying to yourself, I'm not glowing like I should be. No, please don't go touched by an angel on me now. All right? 
If you're not, if you're not phosphorescent, if you're not showing the light of God in your dark places in the world where God sends you, it's because you're not spending enough time in the light. That's what it is. So you and I, we need to be phosphorescent. We need to be bathing in the light of God. You need to be reading the word of God, studying the word of God, learning the word of God, and memorizing the word of God so that that light just radiates from you. Others see you as walking in the light. Our luminance or our light shining capability is caused by being with God and in his word. And we shine as long as we are exposed to the word. We are reflectors, if you will, of God's glory, his hope, his radiance. Be phosphorescent. Use that word. Don't be afraid of it. Be phosphorescent. And then Paul says to us, we also need to be, in verse 14, productive. Paul quotes from the prophet Isaiah, uh, and he reminds the church in Ephesus that they need to wake up. Do not be like the Israelites of old that missed God's calling, and, and, and that calling was to take the light to a dark world. What Paul is doing here, he's saying, shake off the slumber and get up. When I started training for driving the bus, man, it was hard to get up at 5.45. Don't laugh at me. Okay? It was hard to get up that early in the morning. I wasn't used to getting up at that early in the morning. And I would get up and I would, oh man, do I really want to do this? But you know what? You know the time I wake up now on Saturday? 5.30. I often wake up and don't don't and and then I go in the bathroom and I tell Alexa to shut the alarm off on Tim's third echo dot so it doesn't wake Barb up. Because if I tell her in the ba- bedroom to shut it off, she in a very loud voice says, "Alarm for 5:45 off." It doesn't do any good. That defeats the purpose. So I go and I tell the alarm to shut. Tell Alexa shut off the alarm and I get about doing the things I need to do so I'm ready to leave at the right time. Paul says, shake off the slumber. Get up. Stop living like you were dead because you're not dead anymore. You are alive. You're alive in Christ. And so what what does Paul expect us to do? He wants us to take the light of Christ with us wherever we go, but not just take the light with us. He wants us to expose wickedness. Another thing that we have to do before we can drive the bus is we have to inspect underneath the bus. We have to look at the wheels and we have to look at all these other fluids and all this kind of other stuff. So I now take a flashlight with me every day to work. Why? So I can shine it underneath. Yeah, there's, the garage is lit, but you know what? The light doesn't get in as much as it needs to and penetrate around the fender and... Uh, I need to have more light, so I take my flashlight out and I shine it under there and I look and I see if there's any leaks. I see if there's anything that's not supposed to be there. I check out the tread where I do all these things that you're supposed to do to make sure that the bus is in good running shape. So I expose as much as I can with my flashlight. And you know what? I don't use a little tiny dinky flashlight. I use a flashlight that puts off about 600 lumens so I can see as much as possible. So that everything is working the way it's supposed to be working. 
It's part of making sure that the bus is safe. Productive, if you will. You and I, as the children of God, want to be productive in our walk with the Lord. We want to be living as we ought to be living so that God can use us to bring others into the light of Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to stop there. Because if you look at the clock, it's already um, 11.30. And I don't want to rush through the next part of this. And, and you know what? Walk, as, walk in love, walk in light. Why should we cut off walk in light of our learning uh, and make it a short lesson for us from God's Word? Well, I'm not going to do that. We're going to do that next week. And you're going to want to come back because I'm going to present something to you next week that you may not have heard before. Okay, it's something, it's, it's, a, it's a view that I have of Ephesians 5, verse 18. Some of you know what that is, but many of you might not know what that is. And, and it'll be something different that you uh, can process and learn and think through and see if you agree with me or if you don't agree with me. That'll be up to you. It's not a major issue. It's just a matter of interpretation of understanding the word um, the way I believe that it was written. And, and, and it's not a new thing either. It's from a hundred or more years ago. But in the newer teachings, it's been changed a little bit, and it's something different. So have I piqued your appetite? Have I, have I, have I got you to thinking about, man, what's he going to talk about next week? Well, if you want to know, you've got to come back next week, and we'll talk about um, Ephesians 5, 18 to the end of the chapter. All right? Let's close this part of our service in prayer, and then we'll come back and we'll worship some more. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you, and again, we want to we want to thank you for the writings of the Apostle Paul here in the book of Ephesians. Father, he's encouraging us to walk in the light. As children of the light, children of our, of our Savior, your children, in fact, uh, we want to be walking in a way that exposes sinfulness so that others can see their need of a Savior. Father, we live in a world where if, if everything is called right, and that's really what it is in our world today, nobody wants to call wrong, wrong, or sin, sin. They want to call it an alternate lifestyle, or this, or that. Sin is sin, and as children of God, we need to walk in the light, and we need to let others know that they're sinning, and that their sin separates them from you, and that we have the information, we have the news, we have the message that brings life and light to those who are dead in the dark. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to, to live by it today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.